And I just wanted to read to you the words of, a, um, of this old hymn, "'Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus." Some of you may remember that. Uh, first verse, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, just to rest upon His promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord." Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. And as we think about the goodness of God and how He's displayed it to us in our lives, it encourages us, it reminds us, especially if you are encountering a season of dryness or difficulty or a spiritual valley. And as we've been Going through the book of Job, uh, you know, if anybody was experiencing a valley or dark night of the soul, it was Job, right? He was trying to make sense uh, in a, a, of a world in which God would allow the things to happen to him that was happening. You know, his children taken away from him uh, and killed, and, and then his, his wealth, he was a great man, all taken away from him. So he, he's bankrupt. Uh, and his children are gone, and uh, and so he's just really in in the midst of a very difficult time, to say the least, as we've been going through this uh, series. But uh, you see these glimpses of hope that he has. That, you know, he knows the truth about God. We saw that in chapters 1 and 2. We saw him make declarations of faith and, and a confidence in God and he worshiped God even in the middle of all this. But yet, you know, he's a person. He has feelings. He's working through all this stuff. He's wrestling with God still, even though he knows the truth. It's his heart that's wrestling, okay? And last week, we uh, encouraged everybody to realize, you know, it's okay to have questions, right? Uh, but just take them to God, right? Don't just leave them there in your own heart and soul. Take those things to God, um, and that's, that's important. But today, um, we're going to go take a look at chapter 19. Now, um, we left off in chapter 4, and what's happened between 4 and 19 is a series of dialogues between Job and his friends. Um, but basically, the, when you come to boil it all down, what his friends are saying uh, is, is basically, um, I mean, they're actually telling truth they actually are, because what they're saying it, but not, but it's really not. They're misdiagnosing Job's situation, so they would say things like, "Well, Job, you know, the reason that people suffer is because they've done something wrong, and when people do something wrong, a lot of times there are consequences for their sin, and God judges them, and and you just need to repent of whatever it is you've done, and you know, then you'll be fine, right? Well." I mean, it is true that God does, uh, you know, discipline and judge, uh, you know, and, and at times, even now, right? Uh, I mean, even now, like before the final judgment, right? That people experience consequences because of their sin. That is true. Um, and so, in, in in the in Job's friends' minds, they were just kind of very um, theological, which is not a bad thing to be theological and knowing the truth about God and how He operates, but they didn't have a category uh, for what you would call innocent suffering, okay? Suffering from someone that was not a, they haven't done something wrong that God is doing this to them because of that, okay?
okay? Um, people call that innocent suffering. Yeah, I know the theology that none of us is totally innocent. I get that. But just saying that this suffering that's, that's upon him is not a direct consequence of some sin. We know that. We got to look into the, the reason behind this. God is allowing Satan to touch his life because Satan has accused Job and said, listen, you've blessed him with all this stuff, take it away, and he'll curse you. That's the only reason that Job worships, worships you is because uh, of you given him all this stuff and security and you've hemmed him in and protected him. And so, in other words, Satan was accusing Job of not being a real true believer. Right? He's saying he's not really, he's kind of, he just, he's worshipped you because of it's convenient, right? Because you do stuff for him. And so uh, God was, you know, basically it's like God knew, he's like, no, Job's not like that. Job is not like that at all. Uh, I'm going to allow, and I'm going to prove to you that he's not that way, so I will allow you to touch his life in these ways, okay? And so that's what's been happening. And so um, these, uh, you know, this, Job's friends just did not have a category for that kind of suffering, okay? That somebody would suffer uh, and, and, and not be a direct consequence of their own sin. And that was their problem. You know, they, they thought they had all the answers, right? They thought they had all the answers. And, and uh, we, we were learning last week, too, to, to not presume upon someone's suffering, that we know what the reason is, you know? Um, and so, anyway, so here we are. We come to Job 19, and Job has some response, uh, another response to his friends. And so uh, I'm going to basically take this in chunks. A lot of times we'll read the entire passage first and then go into it. Here I'm going to take a chunk, and then we'll talk about it, take another chunk and talk about it. And that's a uh, chunk a little, pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little. That's what I keep thinking. Cheap, 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 top, top, pick a little. What is that movie? It's a musical. Sorry, isn't it? I'm not really a musical guy, but I, why I remember that, I don't know. All right. Chunk a little, preach a little. That's what it is, I guess. Um, okay. So, uh, I know that my Redeemer lives. That's our title today. And that's really how this ends on a crescendo. You know, it's, it's really heavy, this stuff that we're reading in Job, isn't it? It's very heavy. Um, you know, and we love the Word of God, but we've got to realize all the Word of God is there for our benefit, right? And uh, this is so that we get a, this, the Word of God here in Job is a gift to us so that we can even prepare our hearts and our minds or suffering when it does happen to come into our lives. All right, so um, in Job's response, one of the first things he expresses is how his friends have wounded him. How his friends have wounded him in the first four verses of chapter 19. And um, let me just read those for you, Job 19, 1 to 4. It says, then Job spoke again, how long will you torture me? How long will you try to crush me with your words? You have already insulted me ten times. You should be ashamed of treating me so badly. Even if I have sinned, that is, that is my concern, not yours. By the way, my understanding of that use of the word sinned is that some um, like unknown thing. You know, like, you know, it's not some like, purposeful sin that he knows about. That he, but he's saying, you know, to my knowledge, my conscience between me and God, it's clear. right? And they keep accusing him and saying that he's sinning. So he's saying, listen... Even if I have sinned and I'm not aware of it, that's between me and God. That's what he says. And so, and so here we have these first four verses about that he was wounded by his friends. Um, 
I don't know if that's happened to you before where a close friend of yours has said something or maybe even accused you of something that is totally off and wrong. Um, And those wounds uh, of a friend cut really deep. They really do. They really do. Whether it's a betrayal or, again, just uh, a misread on something and you're accused. Um, You know, and this is... This is what's happening with Job is his friends are accusing him of sin and he's basically saying, I've got a clear conscience before God and before men. Um, and, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with confronting uh, each other if we actually are in some kind of sin. In fact, um, Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Uh, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And that first part, faithful are the wounds of a friend, when you think about it, you know, if somebody really loves you, they're going to tell you the truth in love, so as to hopes to that, that you would be helped in your walk with God, right, and not be caught in sin, right? So um, it's all about, you know, when you read the New Testament, you see Paul's writings on restoring someone who's wayward, it's all in a spirit of gentleness, Right? It's not in a spirit of, I'm so much better than you are, that's why I'm coming to you. you know, I'm, I'm so much more holy than you are. No, it's because we love each other and we want to tell the truth in love. But, but I think that Job's friends didn't know about that in love part. Right? They, they just were not ex- being that way. Um, but but you know, So their words were wounding and cutting deep. And, um, and Job's just saying, you know, you guys have, have wounded me deeply with your words. How long will you torture me and crush me with your words? So we just, you know, just a good reminder that our words either hurt others or they heal others when they're suffering. Okay? It's really hard to know what to say when someone's suffering. Right? You know, you just, you know the first, one of the things to remember is that... Um, you're not going to, no matter what you could say, you're not going to fix what they're, what they're experiencing. Okay? Um, and nor would they probably, you know, in a say, want you to fix it. You can't say anything that's going to fix the suffering, right? Um, and so I think we want to choose our words wisely and ask for grace, ask for God's grace to know what is the thing that they would, would need to hear, right? Uh, and so Job's friends just totally must have missed that class at school, right? About how to love your friends with your words, right? Um, again, we're not, we're not of trying to say that we should avoid in relationships saying difficult things, saying hard things, but it needs to be done in love. And uh, Job's simply expressing, um, these guys have hurt him deeply, all right? So uh, now, in, in the, the second thing here, though, that we encounter in this passage is... We get word pictures of Job's trials, his difficulties. Word pictures are great. They help give us a sense for the heart of Job. And these verses that we're going to see in just a second here that we'll put on the screen, they it's almost like we're reading Job's personal journal. Um, if you've ever journaled and you, and you journal, it's kind of a personal journal. It's not just kind of like you're writing down a devotional verse and your thoughts on it, but you're, you're actually pouring your heart and your soul out on paper, that's what we're seeing. Job is describing his trials and his difficulties 
and he's painting pictures for us, all right, on how he's, how he's feeling. So we get to verse 5, and it says, You think you're better than I am using my humiliation as evidence of my sin. Again, there he's just saying, you guys have totally misdiagnosed this. Just because I'm in these humiliating circumstances doesn't mean I've done something wrong. And he says, but it is God who has wronged me, capturing me in his net. That's kind of tough to read, right? Because you're thinking, ooh, you know, God doesn't do anything wrong. You know, we know that, right? But he's just pouring his heart out. He's pouring his heart out. This is not meant to be a theologically correct statement, but he's like, you know, he's just trying to piece it together. That's what we have to see. We're in the middle of a of his struggle and his wrestling. He's just trying to piece it together. Um, but but basically, this first imagery is just that you know, like a trapped animal. He says, you know, God's captured me, like captured me in his net. I feel like a trapped animal. And then he says, I cry out. Help, but no one answers me. I protest, but there is no justice. So here's an image of a almost like a courtroom. And Job's like, I, I feel like I've been wronged here. And I'm taking my case to God and nobody's hearing me. Right? It's like I, God's not hearing me. Anybody who would do me justice is not hearing. So he's just saying, this is how I'm feeling about this. Then he goes on to verse 8. He says, God has blocked my way so that I cannot move. He has plunged my path into darkness. And so you get this this picture of darkness, and he doesn't know the way forward. He feels like God has blocked his way forward. He doesn't know how to move ahead with all that's going on. Right? So he feels fenced in. Um, Now, uh, I ran across this quote I wanted to share with you just about this whole idea of when you're kind of in a, a dark place, a difficult place, like we see Job, right? I mean, we're not not talking, you know, you realize when we're going through this book that, you know, it's not like Job has a hangnail and he's complaining about it, right? He's got some serious, serious loss and grief, all just, you know, piled on, right? And so he's, he's just feeling like in a dark place. And the quote I wanted to read to you is by uh, Bob Jones Sr. It's, and he said this, he says, never doubt in the darkness what God has taught you in the light. Never doubt in the darkness what God has taught you in the light. What does he mean by that? He's basically saying, listen, when life is going well, and as you're, you're learning and you're growing in your faith, and you're, you're growing in your knowledge of God, and you know how he, what, what he's like, and, and that he's faithful to his people, and how he doesn't, um, he, everything he always does in our lives is for our good, Right? Romans 8.28, right? Uh, God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? And so it's like we, we learn these things in the light, and he's saying if you're tempted to doubt those things that you've learned in the light when you're in the darkness, don't. Hang on. Hang on to what you know to be true when things were going well, right? Hang on to those promises of God, those truths of God, what you know him to be when things were seemingly in the light. And I think that's, that's good advice. I think that's sound, right? It's that um, <clears throat> my wife and I joke occasionally, like uh, when we're having a difficult day or, um, you know, we're just uh, maybe just not feeling with it that day, like you're kind of off. 
we, we look at each other and say, well, let's not make any life-altering decisions today, right? <laughs> Where it's not a good time to, like, say, let's move, you know, or I'm quitting my job, or, you know, just, you know, so, and I think that uh, Bob Jones Sr. advice there is basically like, like that. You don't want to jettison what you know to be true when you're, when you're in this dark place. Hang on to what you know is true of God. True of God. And, and uh, I just think that, you know, we have to remember that. So Job is just expressing, I feel like I'm in the dark. I feel like I, I don't know the way forward. All right, and then he says in verse 9, he has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. What's the imagery there? He's like, he's like I'm like a king stripped of his throne. Well, you remember, Job was a great man. He was known throughout the land, right? Uh, we even, if you read some of the comments that his friends say about him, how he was there for other people. He helped other people. He used his wealth to bless other people. And, and now that's gone. So he says, I feel like I've been stripped, a king stripped of his throne. Verse 10, it says, he has demolished me on every side and I am finished. He has uprooted my hope like a fallen tree. So, so the imagery there, like an uprooted tree. It's like my hope was deep down there, but I feel like I've been uprooted. You know, things have just turned upside down. I don't understand how this could be, right? Um, and so we're just seeing, again, we're seeing Job just pour out his heart in, with this imagery. Verse 11, it says, his fury burns against me. He counts me as an enemy. Um, and then he says in verse 12, his troops advance. They build up roads to attack me. They camp all around my tent. So he's like, I feel like my life is a besieged city. God's like coming after me. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. And again, we're in the midst of his process. He's working through this stuff. He's just being honest with God. And that's, that's not a bad thing, okay? That's not a bad thing. All right, now, the other thing that we realize here, we learn, is that um, as people go through suffering, and as Job does here, um, they often feel isolation. They feel isolation. They might, be, they might themselves withdraw, or others may withdraw from them. Right? And as we'll see here, let's just read through these verses in verses 13 to 22. Um, he says, My relatives stay far away, and my friends have turned against me. My family is gone, and my close friends have forgotten me. My servants and maids consider me a stranger. I'm like a foreigner to them. When I call my servant, he doesn't come. I have to plead with him. Verse 17, my breath is repulsive to my wife. Okay, that's an interesting verse. Um, <laughs> what are we going to say about that? I think, it's, I think it's because of his sickness, okay? I'm just saying, I think that's what, I don't think it's because he didn't brush his teeth that day. But as you remember, do you remember when Job's friends first saw him? They didn't recognize him. He had boils all over his body. Remember that? And so, you just wonder, uh, I mean, and anyway, regardless of how he got the bad breath, his wife is even kind of like keeping at a distance. He says, I am rejected by my own family. Even young children despise me. When I stand to speak, they turn their backs to me. So he's totally disrespected, right? Then he says, uh, my close friends detest me. 
uh, those I have loved have turned against me. I have been reduced to skin and bones. So you see, this is his sickness, right? And have escaped death by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me, my friends. Have mercy, for the hand of God has struck me. Must you also persecute me like God does? Haven't you chewed me up enough? I mean, he's just got nobody. He's got no one. And I got to thinking about this is that, you know, it's like they're treating him like a leper. And they're really treating him like, because with a leper, you know, nobody would get near them. They'd have to stay in a leper colony and to, for the safety of others or whatever. But he doesn't have leprosy, right? He, he's, he's got this disease. And he's been touched by this disease and he doesn't know why. And, and people are just withdrawing from him. And also probably um, because of what his friends are saying to him, some other people are buying that stuff. Like, you know, better stay away from Job. You know, he's got, he's got some unconfessed sin and stuff's coming down on him. You don't want to be around him when it happens. Now, I'm just speculating here. But, you know, you, could, you know how things go with people, right? And so he is just uh, isolated. And many people feel that way. Many people feel that way and when they're suffering. And we have to remember that when people are suffering, yeah, they need their time, too. They, they need, uh, you know, they can't have constant conversations about how they're doing and this and that. But, but uh, we need to stay in touch. Right? We need to not uh, just let them be on their own. We do need to respect their space, but also just realize that oftentimes there is a battle going on spiritually there. You know, It's not that they've forsaken God or whatever, but they've got questions, um, and we would too, you know, if we're honest. Definitely Job's being honest here. Right? And so, um, all right. The last thing here in this passage is really, and so now we're kind of, we're coming out of the ditch here a little bit for a time, you know, and what you'll see is through the book of Job, it's just up and down, up and down, and that's reality in suffering and in grief, right? You're up and you're down, you're up and you're down, and even though you know God is constant, He's the anchor of your soul as a believer, you have these feelings and they go up and down, right? And so, um, and so we have Job here, we see him we see his hope here in these verses in 23 to 29. We'll see it, all right? So let's take a look here. It says, um, Oh, that my words could be recorded. Oh, that they could be inscribed on a monument, carved with an iron chisel and filled with lead, engraved forever in the rock. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. And those are probably some of the most famous verses from the book of Job right there. Okay? Uh, the verses 25 and 26. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and I will stand upon the earth and he will stand upon the earth at last. Let me just say a few things about this. Okay? Um, it's it, Basically what Job is saying is, I'm going to see God when I die. I mean, he's, a, he's a true believer. He says, I'm going to see God when I die, and God is going to set the record straight. He's like, God, my Redeemer will, Redeemer, will write the wrongs done to me and spoken to me. He will declare me righteous before my accusers. And so he's like, if this, even if this doesn't happen now, God knows the truth, 
And I will stand vindicated on that day. So you, you see, he has a confidence in God. Again, this is a man who's like, he's, I got a clear conscience before God. I know I've confessed everything. And didn't you see at the beginning of the book of Job how careful he was? Even with his children, he's like, you know, when they got together for their, if it was their birthday parties that they were referring to when they got together, right, at each other's homes, he would always offer sacrifice in case one of his children may have done something sinful during that time. He, he's a very sensitive man. He, he, he wants things to always be in short account with God. That's the way we should be, right? Keep short accounts with God. Even though we know that as, if you're a believer in Jesus, all your sin is covered, all of it's forgiven in Jesus because of what he's done on the cross, past, present, and future. However, uh, 1 John 1.9 is there for a reason. It says that if you confess, um, well, let me get there. Thinking of another John. 1 John 1.9, because I'm going to misquote it. And this, is, this is important, right? If you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, right, you've got to realize that, yes, your sin is forgiven, but when we do, uh, when we are uh, knowingly sinning, and we we have we do need to confess that it says first John one nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? He's saying, you know, there is something that happens in that relationship with God. It doesn't mean that when we sin as believers, now He kicks us out of the family, but there is a rift in the relationship. Right? And it wasn't that God moved away from us; is that we moved away from Him a little bit. Right? We're still in the family, but we got to work it out, right? And how we work it out, because it's our fault, is we just confess it to God and, and thank Him that we are forgiven in Christ if we put our faith in Him, right? And then we, we turn to Christ. You know, we're always looking to Christ. So you turn away from sin, you look to Jesus, right? And for what He's done and, and be thankful in that, right? And so so, um, so he, He's basically just saying, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to, God is my redeemer. He's going to right the wrongs. And I wanted to share with you something here. This word that's used for redeemer, there's a, there's a really cool connection in the Old Testament with this. And I'm going to read from Christopher Ashe, who's written a commentary on the book of Job, which I would commend to you. Uh, he says here about uh, when it says, I know that my redeemer lives, when Job says that. He says, the redeemer was someone tied to you by covenant usually a relative, whose calling was to stand for you when you were wronged. If you were, if you were murdered, he saw to it that your murderer was punished. If your share in the promised land was under threat, he safeguarded it. If your widow was childless, he gave her a child. In every way, he stood for you when you could not stand for yourself. Hallelujah. We have a God like that who stands for the person, right, who cannot stand for themselves. You know, that's our God. And that's the God that Jacob is looking to. He's holding on to God in the midst of the darkness, saying, I know I've got a clear conscience before God. I can't explain why all this is happening to me, but I know that I have a Redeemer who lives, and He'll stand with me on that day and declare me righteous. He will be as it says in the book of Ruth, my kinsman redeemer, my kinsman redeemer, right? And that's, that's the, uh, one of the connections here in the Old Testament. What, uh, Christopher Ash goes on to say, one of the most beautiful illustrations of this principle is in the book of Ruth, this idea of the redeemer, where Boaz acts as Naomi and Ruth's kinsman redeemer, caring for them in their widowhood and becoming for Ruth the husband she needs. 
Job is confident he has a Redeemer who lives, meaning lives forever, in contrast with the impermanence even of an inscription on a stone. And so uh, I just think that's a good word. It's good to be reminded that, you know, he's hanging on to hope in the midst of the darkness. Again, he's hanging on to those truths that he's learned in the light while he's in the dark. So it's an incredible statement of faith on Job's part. He, he speaks the truth, right? Um, probably more truth than we even realize when he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, right? He doesn't know anything about Jesus, okay? Um, but uh, uh, there is a sovereign Redeemer who lives and who will one day vindicate every believer, right? And declare him or her justified from all sin. The true God is the Father who sent His Son into the world to be an innocent believer who dies for sinners. And the true God is the Son who has so loved us that He gave Himself for us. Right. So all believers in Christ will be able to say that I know that my Redeemer lives and though uh, that He has died um, for my sins. Now, uh, the one thing I wanted to mention here, well, let me just, let's keep going on. He talks about the judgment here. So after he makes that declaration in verse 26, and he says, and after my body is declared, yet in my body I will see God. Um, He says, "I I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Now he starts turning back to his friends, and he says, how dare you go on persecuting me, saying it's his own fault. You should fear punishment yourselves. For your attitude deserves punishment. Then you will know that there is indeed a judgment. He's saying, listen, I got my heart right with God. You better. Maybe you better take a look at your life and see if you're ready to stand before God at the judgment. And um, I think he's justified in saying this, right, to his friends. Now, so um, I wanted to share just a, a few verses here in closing that I think help us um, to do what Job did was to hang on to God. Uh, you know, have, putting, keep hanging on to our hope in God. And, and Christian hope is, you know, not just wishful thinking. It's a certainty. It's something that's certain. But there's some scriptures uh, I think that we should hang on to that really um, remind us of our hope. Because, you know, behind all of the questions that Job has, there's a question. It hasn't been asked uh, explicitly. But the question is, is God for me? Is God really for me? When all this stuff is happening to me, is God for me? Because you get the sense in chapter 19, he's like, well, God's doing this stuff to me. It's like God's at war with me. And so he's got a question, is God for me? And uh, as believers, we need to hang on to the hope and know that whatever is happening, whatever God uh, is allowing and bringing into our lives through the circumstances, whatever, He is for us. And one of the verses I want to share with you is Romans 8, verse 38 and 39, where Paul is laying out to believers, to anyone who has put their trust in Jesus. He says um, in verse 38, Romans 8, 38, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's a promise to us who put our faith in Jesus. There's no one, there's no thing, there's no circumstance that could ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So whether we feel that He's there with us or not, if you're in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, you can know with a certainty that you know He's there. His love has not left you, right? And Job was just simply saying, he's thinking, I know that my Redeemer loves. I know I'm hanging on to that. And we need to know too, right? When we are in the darkness, this is one of the truths that we learn in the light that you have to hang on to. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I think it was uh, my own... Feeling is this week when I was having my own devotions, a verse hit me, and I wanted to share it with you that relates to this. And that again, it's just trying to point us to things that we can hang on to, that we can anchor our hope in God. And um, when we when we hear again, kind of like how we start off today, ask you to share how have you seen the goodness of God. When we share those things with each other, it encourages our soul. And where maybe even we might be in a place where we're having a hard time coming up with something because we're in a rough patch or whatever. We're just not, maybe, you know, it's not that God's not working. Maybe we're just not seeing it. But hear, me hearing you say it, if you shared it with me, would be an encouragement to my soul, right? Um, and, and so one of the uh, testimonies uh, in the Old Testament of God's faithfulness amidst uh, great injustice is the life of Joseph. The life of Joseph, right? Sold into slavery by his own brothers. <laughs> they were so jealous of him. And, and they had a reason, in a sense, to be jealous. His father really treated him as a favorite, but certainly doesn't justify selling your, brothers, your brother into slavery, right? No matter how much you might want to have done that to your sibling. No, it doesn't justify that. And so he was sold into slavery, right? So major injustice there. And then falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, right? He's saying, uh, she said that he was uh, Potiphar's, you know, the, the main Egyptian um, leader there. And, and his wife accused uh, Joseph falsely of rape, right? So they get thrown into the dungeon, right? And just injustice after injustice. And actually, he met some guys in prison there and said, hey, when you get out, could you let them know about me down here? And they didn't remember him. Right? They, did, they didn't throw him a lifeline. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I had experienced all that, I don't know where I would be spiritually. All right? But, but listen, I, so, I, so I, I run into this passage in Genesis chapter 45, and it's the big reveal because uh, there's a famine in the land, and uh, God has by, God, by God's grace, Joseph has been brought out of the pit, literally out of jail, and put in a huge position to be over all of Potiphar's stuff. He's just in charge of everything, you know. And, and, uh, and, and so, and, and through a, a dream uh, that, he, that God interpreted, uh, you know, Joseph did it, but God gave him the information about uh, what Potiphar's dream was about, and that there was going to be 
a famine come. And so Joseph made all the plans to store up grain and all this stuff. So anyway, um, what's happening now is that Joseph's family, his brothers, are coming to, to town to get help. They're coming to get grain. They're starving because of the famine. And so far, after a few exchanges, Joseph hasn't let the cat out of the bag. Like, I'm the guy you sold into slavery, you know? Um, you know, just imagine how you would have been plotting if it was you, right? That they're coming back into your life now, and you've got all, you can hold all the power, right? All right, so there, there's the setup, okay? Um, I want to just presume that everybody knows that story. But when we come into Genesis 45, listen to jo- Joseph as he reveals who he is. In verse 4, he says, So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you, to preserve for you a remnant on the earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. I mean, how many times there are several times he's saying it. You you thought it was you that did this? No, God did this. Uh, That is quite a statement of faith, isn't it? How God can use such an evil like that and turn it around as being a part of his, it it is a part of his plan. Again, kind of back to the sovereignty of God. He's in control. There's nothing entering our lives that is not sifted through His hand. Right? And so it, it just brought me great encouragement to just remember, hey, whatever's happening today, right, that God sent it. He sent it. And I just think that's a word we need to hang on to. God sent it, and He's going to do something with it. I'm probably blind to what he's going to do with it, but I need to embrace it by faith and hang on to the hope that I have in God. And so I would encourage you just to maybe take some time this week and and sit in that passage for a little bit. Say, God, there's something going on in my life right now. I haven't really acknowledged that you sent it, that you've got a purpose in it, that you want to somehow bless through it even though I cannot see it. Right? And that's, that's faith, isn't it? That's a faith statement to be able to do that. And we need, we need faith to do that. We need God to help increase our faith to know that that's true. Because it is. Right? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just uh, come to you this morning and we want to acknowledge and declare to you just like Joseph has done here, that um, we know how you can turn things that are, that are really difficult, hard things, even evil things, and turn it for your good. That there's nothing that sneaks up on you in our lives that now you've got to scramble and try to fix it. Lord, help us to know 
this week and even today. And let us hang on to the truth that God sent it. Someone else may have meant it for evil, but God sent it. And Lord, help us to hang on to that truth. Help us to know and hang on to this truth that nothing can separate us from the love of God as in Christ Jesus. Whatever it is that's going on, whatever hard things we're enduring right now, that we can rest assured that you're right there. Nothing is taking us out of your presence. That we're rock solid. That you will not leave us. You said there in Hebrews, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Lord, let us hang on to the hope that we have in you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.